right. Welcome to the latest episode of Front and Happy Hour. Today we're in Sacramento at SACJS, and we're going to be talking today about code. Specifically, <laughs> old code, legacy code, that code that everybody knows exists but doesn't want to think about. Before we get started, let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. Derek, you want to start? Sure. Uh, I'm Derek Showers. I'm a senior software engineer at LinkedIn. I'm Stacey London. I'm a front-end engineer at Atlassian. I'm Mars Julian. I'm a senior UI engineer at Netflix. Uh, I'm Augustus Yoon, uh, front-end engineer at Evernote. I'm Brian Holt, and apparently I work at the Evil Empire, <laughs> so I'm told. I'm a cloud developer advocate for Microsoft. And I'm Jem Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. Uh, before we get started, in every episode, we'd like to have a keyword where, if it's mentioned, we take a drink. What's today's keyword? Legacy. legacy. So if you hear the word legacy, which you may, take a drink with us. It's a dangerous word. Oh, already. I'm getting, <laughs> We're getting shit out. Yeah. We've got a lot of bad memories here. So when we talk about legacy code, what are some of the challenges? Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, can't even get All to right. Well, here we go. This is getting messy. It's going to be a long episode. When we talk about old code, what are some of the challenges you run into, and why is it a problem? I mean, an example for, for um, so I work on Bitbucket Cloud, and... It's written in, uh, it's Django, um, a traditional sort of web app, like go page to page, uh, full refresh every page. Um, and over time, it's had lots of different iterations. So like, it started off with like jQuery becoming like, let's, let's get some jQuery in here and make things easier. Uh, and then it was like, backbone, that, that might make managing some views a little bit easier. Let's get a little bit of that in there. And then like, React came along. It was like, oh, we can sprinkle some React in here too. So now you have like, all of these things co-mingled, um, so uh, it can be very difficult to, to maintain something that has like so many different years of things in it and so many things all at the same time. So like you bring in someone with like React experience who's like, oh yeah, I've built tons of spas, I, I know React, and then you're like, oh, but can you like also maybe some Backbone, maybe maybe some jQuery, and you're like, wait, what? And like, so it's hard to recruit. I think like that's that, that's a tough part, like to main to like bring in talent to make sure you keep everybody happy. Having to know all those things is very tough, and like to be good at all those things is really hard. Like to be good at all those frameworks at the same time and like know all the the edge cases of all these things is like a very difficult thing. So I think that's a challenge um, when you have legacy kind of code base with lots of things in it. Cheers. 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 <laughs> you said spas. And so I, I was like, uh, spas? Like the jacuzzi? It's a but relaxing place. Single page. Okay, single page application. Yeah, I <laughs> well, one of the challenges I found when uh, refactoring code bases, which is something I've actually spent maybe the past 18 months doing, um, it's a lonely endeavor, that's for sure. But also, it's really hard to know where to draw the line. Um, I think it's, no product has a single part of your code base that pertains just to that product, or at least not in my experience. Uh, files will kind of pull in from all sorts of different places, and it's just hard to know where do you stop refactoring. You know, at a certain point, you're redoing an entire code base or even just a part of it, but it is touching other parts, and you're like, well, how do I, how do I not go this far, you know? How do I def define the lines of the product that I'm working on or the, the code that I need to rewrite? Yeah. Would would you all agree that microservices make it easier to refactor code, or is it not worth the trouble? It's better to have a monolithic app where everybody understands what's happening. I think they're different challenges. Mm. Like uh, you're gonna when you break into things into microservices, eventually you're going to run into the point where you want to combine microservices, or you want to break microservices down into 
Pico services, I don't know. <laughs> I'm making shit up here, right? It just it lends uh, new challenges that you you weren't expecting before. Is a Pico service just one function? I think so. Functions of service. <laughs> Hashtag deploy it to Azure. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness that was your answer because Evernote worked really hard to move us to microservices. It, it's one of the benefits people don't often talk about when we talk about microservices, but. That's not the holy grail. There are trade-offs, and but one of the benefits is easier refactoring in the long run. Yeah, I would say like some of the things with uh, Bitbucket Cloud is some of the, the the logic is built is like embedded inside of Django templates, and like if that was extracted out into a service, some of that logic can then it'd be a lot easier to refactor because then that stuff doesn't have to be repositioned somewhere else. I'd say a challenge, and agree or disagree, a challenge. But a benefit of refactoring is that, or of not refactoring, is that the bugs are known and they've already been solved. That's something like you get an old car, but you know all the bad parts about it. That's why you don't necessarily want to upgrade to a new car because all the issues you've already run into, the same with old code, the bugs have been solved, it's been documented, There's, the edge cases are known. That's probably a benefit we don't talk a lot about when we talk about older code, older legacy code. Cheers. 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 <laughs> No, I think that's that's a, that's a salient point. Um, when you refactor your code, you end up with a bunch of new code, like a bunch of new bugs that were not previously bugs, and you're going to spend another six months fixing. And like most people do not factor in, it's like, hey, we're going to fuck up a bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like we're not meaning to, but we're going to have to spend like another year fixing our new fuck ups. Yeah, actually, that kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at me, you won't do it too. Thank God our keyword isn't fuck up. Legacy. Yeah, but actually, I just wanted to call out that I thought you brought up a good point in that, you know, not legacy code isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, sometimes things are specced out a certain way. Again? Dang it. Damn it, Augustus. Why can't we drink water? Um, <laughs> but old code is not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's spec'd out a specific way, and then later you realize, hey, this was not the right solution. Or maybe there were solutions back then, and then nowadays there's a better solution. So it's not always, I, I feel bad code, all, or I'm trying not to say it. I don't want to drink water. <laughs> it, it gets a bad rep. Yeah, and the word L-E-G-A-C-Y. Oh, that counts. That counts. That counts. We're counting. It gets a yeah. It does. It gets a bad rap because like that code was was written with thought and intention, and yeah. bugs were fixed over time. So like that code is is can be good code that you don't want to touch and you don't want to mess up, and like there's no business value to touching it because it actually does the work that it, it needs to do. Yeah. And actually, sometimes this is like showing some of my affection for legacy code. Cheers. Oh, <laughs> oh no. This is not going well. No, sometimes that code is like the best documentation you have in your company. Like we've talked about, it has like all of the bugs. It has a lot of the context. It also, if, you, you know, if you're using GitHub, it has the history of how things have changed over time. And if you look at it, there is a little bit of you know, sentimental attachment to it as you're fixing it. It's like, oh, I fixed that bug a year ago. Look at how far we've come, or not come, yeah. in some cases. It's still there. So I mean, it does, it does have that. You know, it, it, is really, it may not be commented very well, but it does document your product really, really. It is your product, basically. So. Yeah, I think what it comes down to is sometimes it's just easier when you're looking at, it, at looking at some code it's just 
sometimes, well, maybe it's not easier, but it's like in, ingrained in us that we just want to rewrite everything. And sometimes the harder, um, I guess to every, the kind of sum up what everyone says, the harder, the harder uh, thing to do is sometimes read what that code is doing and understand it and appreciate it to an extent and then like, you know, add to it instead of just rewriting the whole thing. There's literally a word for this in engineering called not build here syndrome. It's, oh, I didn't build this, everybody before me was crap, so let's just throw <laughs> yeah. it out and rebuild it. That's that's a very common thinking. It's just, I use Backbone, let's use Angular because Angular is way better and Backbone is bad, but we never stop and think. <laughs> you, you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> There's one Backbone fan in the audience. I'm with you, man. But, you know, like, sometimes that code was fine. It doesn't need to change. But that's not, in engineering, we, li we like to build things. We don't like to fix things. We like to build things. We like to tell other people that they suck. Yes. Yeah. Brian, you suck. I know. Ah, I knew that. Code. So when does it make sense to refactor? When does it make sense to migrate your code to an entirely new scheme versus, like, just fixing all this old code and refactoring it? something that that's that's what we're, I'm in progress doing like big bucket clouds like it's been around for you know a decent amount of time it has like it's a big app there's a lot of business logic in it there's a ton of time that's been invested in building the thing and so to like be like wait we're not building more features we're rewriting everything it's like wait it took like many years to get to this point we're not gonna be like stop we're gonna take some multiple years and rewrite this whole thing in a modern stack so for that, it doesn't make like business sense. Like maybe build the thing that's going to give you like the most business value. Like do that new thing in the new stack or whatever makes sense, but not like rewrite the whole thing. So it's just it, the time it would take is is immense, and you can't afford to do that when you're trying to be like a profitable business or profitable like product doing in the real world. Like you can't just do that. Yeah, so at LinkedIn, we, we completely overhauled our, our um, interface and, and changed. Um, so in, in doing that, then that's we took that advantage, I guess, to refactor the entire code base. Code base. Um, not saying that that's right or wrong. I know Uber did something similar when they revamped their app. Um, what, Brian? We're just waiting. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> just some legacy. Didn't say anything. Didn't say anything at all. Talking smack. <laughs> Um, so, so I think, I mean, to Stacy's point, I think 99% of the time it makes more sense to migrate, um, and to take things slowly. And even when you are doing something like, um, what we did in the past and what other companies have done when they changed their whole UX, you know, maybe, maybe even in those cases, refactoring isn't, uh, into something brand new, isn't the right choice, but maybe that's one of those times where you could justify something like that. So I'm going to, I'm going to disagree a bit because I'm an asshole and I like disagreeing with people. I've seen... Total migrations sink a lot of companies. Like, like entire unicorn billion-dollar companies have been sunk by like, hey, we're on Angular 1.3 and we want to move to React, right? Like, just for like shiny new technology and asshole engineers that want to move there, like like us, like these people on on this panel. I'm not an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this guy I'm pointing to myself <laughs> as he narrates his, himself. Migration is a tough thing. Yeah. It, it sinks companies. It, it, it sinks that you can't uh, ship new features. You can't do things like that. So like, if you're on like a really good backbone uh, code base, or even if you're on, like, on a fine code, uh, code base of backbone, oftentimes like, it's not the shiniest thing, but it still works. Backbone still works today. Like, it usually makes sense to stay there. So Evernote has a lot of experience with this. So for context, uh, we rewrote our entire web app 
um, we used to be on a Google, uh, framework called Google Web Toolkit. So okay, oh, then then you should refactor. Refactor. <laughs> 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 I retract everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> Unicorn companies that migrate. Uh, so yeah, and so the context of Google Web Toolkit is it's a Java framework that. Okay, no, no one was like, oh. <laughs> but um, but back in the day, you know, Evernote was a Java shop, and so it made more sense to do Java and. You know, we saw a lot of value moving off of it, right? So I think that was the key thing for us. Like when it comes to migrating, you really have to focus on what value you're getting out of it. So for us, just building our Google Web Toolkit app takes a really long time. It takes like, I don't know, like, you know that, you know that XKCD? It's like, hey, my code's compiling. And they're like <laughs> yeah. playing. They're like, oh, okay, it's chill. That, uh, <laughs> not, I, not that I did that, but you know, it, it, it felt really long. To, and we've just seen so much, like just like from building our application um, when moving to like a JavaScript framework, it's just sped up our development process. Um, it was also way easier to hire people because, I mean, Google Web Toolkit is an abandoned project by Google. It's a, it's been a decade old and they not never do that. They never abandon it. Oh, nope. Okay. okay. Well, okay. It's supported. <laughs> minimally supported. It's open sourced. So. RIP Google Reader. Google Wave. Oh, wave. yeah. Uh-huh. All right, so <laughs> someone someone distilled this advice down for me. So Brian's saying it doesn't always make sense to refactor. Like, you can actually cost the company millions, possibly billions of dollars. Augustus is saying, man, we got a big win from refactoring. Like, everybody's happier, our code's faster. So at what point should we actually consider a refactor? If you're on GWT. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sort of a cost-benefit analysis thing, like, which is... <laughs> Gross business speak. Cost oh, Why don't you do a cost benefit analysis and see if your ROI is better? <laughs> but like, if if like, build, so for for us, like, let's say we want to do something with the code review screen. If rebuilding, if if adding features into that thing is is uh, if the code is so entangled and full of like multiple frameworks and multiple patterns. And it is so difficult to ex- like add a add a simple new feature, something that like shouldn't actually take too long. But you're like, oh, actually, it's going to take like way longer because of the fact that it's like seven different stacks of stuff. That that's like a good like way to say like, in this case, re- adding a feature is going to take way longer than if we were to start with a good base and then build features on it from there. And so like. Doing that kind of analysis can help that that conversation. Like whoever makes the decisions, whoever's like, yes, sign off. Like yes, you should start this project. Those kind of things are good to present um, as like your pro and con. I think that's the most salient point that's been brought up. You know what's salient point? Your use of the word salient. Like I mean legacy. Just drink. Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> salient. I don't know what's going on over there, but I'm not yeah. sure I like it. You should not have sat together. <laughs> not good for your liver. It's really cute, though. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we've sort of agreed on when we should refactor or migrate and kind of figure out why the benefits, the costs and benefits of doing that. How do you convince stakeholders, so your product managers, um, people that they need to get paid based on what you do? But you're saying, like, we will not make any new products while we do all these things in the back that you won't even notice, but it's better. Like, how do conversations like that go? Because that's something that I get asked a few times from just newbie developers. Like, I need to convince my CTO that we need to move. How do I make, how do I do that? Uh, I didn't tell him. 
I mean, kind of. Yeah. So they get pushed dash F. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Rewrite history. Um, when I was at a smaller company um, that's not called Reddit, that's called Reddit, uh, uh, we were on Angular. I wanted to move to React. It was a small enough code base that I could, you know, swing that. Uh, the sum of the story is that all my estimates suddenly had like a week longer on everything, and that everything was just getting shipped in React. So. That worked out for me. That might get you fired. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. That might get you fired. It did not get me fired, but uh, it did work for me. That's actually a good answer. I'm, su I'm surprised. <laughs> like, I'm what? surprised the next what? person. What? Jim agrees with me? It's rare. Cool. Well, you said you had a salient point. So. Yeah. Salient. No, I actually, I, I agree, too. Like, sometimes it helps to have someone champion what that refactor looks like. Uh, for, so for us, the React version of Evernote came from a hack week. So every year we have like this hack week where people can just work on whatever they want. And someone showed it, and they showed how fast it was to develop on it, and they just showed like a bunch of cool things. And it got a lot of people like talking about it, like, oh, this is really cool. So I some, sometimes that is what you, what you need to do. You really need to communicate the value that you're getting out of this. Too. I think also that sometimes the value can be somewhat self-evident. I found in like conversations recently, at least you can you can look on previous projects where estimates have slipped because you're dealing with older code and it just has an effect on like the code that you're working on currently. And especially you know with really really old code, you go in to do a bug fix and you create more bugs. And all of a sudden, you just need to communicate to your manager and your product manager that this is what's happening over and over again. And I think if they've seen you working on something for long enough in a code base that's old enough. It's not necessarily a really hard conversation because it's really easy sell because they've seen the effects of that older code base on some of your more recent work. I think that's code base to code base, but in my experience, when it really gets bad enough, it becomes somewhat self-evident. Yeah. Those legacy code bases. What? Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> I'm super happy that most of the audience is drinking with us. <laughs> Cheers. I've been moving from the Midwest uh, to San Francisco. I found that like a majority of the product managers and people that I work with all come from like tech backgrounds and, and they have this like they maybe were engineers at one point and so there's the conversation is so much easier because they're like oh yeah of course I understand that I empathize um, but that hasn't always been the case for me I've worked with a lot of like leadership or people that have not had engineering backgrounds so that that conversation is much more difficult and one of the things that I found in a past uh, job was to talk about capability, I'm using all these business words, capabilities, so capabilities of like, synergy, synergy capabilities, <laughs> use the words that they understand. So uh, when you, when, uh, as an example, something that I was working on was built on SharePoint as a platform, ah, stressful. <laughs> But we, we needed to convince convince uh, the leadership that like maybe that wasn't the best platform for things and like ASP.NET made a m more sense for the kind of thing we were building. So it was like putting together a PowerPoint and I love I know, this conversation. <laughs> I love it. But like, we're, it's all cringeworthy, but also There's like- There's so many Microsoft jokes here, but I know what you're But it made sense. It was like, 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 we'll talk about the fact that like the thing that you want, like you're asking us to build this feature, but like that platform cannot build that feature. We cannot do it very easily. It makes more like this. This thing can enable that capability, and so like talking about capabilities and like that, it enables us to do the thing that you're asking us to more easily. That language translated well in like 
was received well and like okay then yes then that makes sense let's replatform this thing and replatform replatform wow. <laughs> I'm also I'm full of fancy words like yeah. this just you've <laughs> taken refactor to all <laughs> <laughs> I think to Stacey's point, though, is you have to learn to speak a little bit of business to sell this to, uh, yeah. to management. Mm-hmm. I think which, she I, evidenced. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it's uh, to summarize. I don't know, Augustus, you were saying this, but like about being on or Mars, like about being honest about it, but also not. For me, it's like being honest, but not being too honest. <laughs> so it's like I've seen, I've seen like you know, uh, that like, doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I see where you're he says this like everything he says makes sense. Um, <laughs> it's like newer developers will come in sometimes and they'll be like, okay, we can do this in like you know five days, but if we do it the really quick way, then we can do it in two days. You know, so like I think you know I, I do agree that like most times, especially in in in. Um, Silicon Valley, but I think anywhere like that, that you um, have the advantage that people will trust you. Um, and uh, but yeah, don't like be overly honest about it. <laughs> I I like that point. That that is a beautiful point because I part of what separates junior engineer like mid tier engineer, I don't even know middle mid level engineer to, from senior engineer is the ability to explain complex things that people don't necessarily understand tech. And that's something that's really discounted in our field because we go. Can you code? You know these algorithms, all these things, but can you communicate effectively? Is something that personally, like I prize as an engineer. Someone can explain it to me, like data science, explaining like uh, a Poisson distribution or something. And I'm like, oh, I get it. You're you're like really smart because you can explain this simply. The same goes for technical debt. You're saying like, hey, we can get this done in a day or two, but it's going to accrue like this much technical debt, which we will have to pay off eventually. And I think if you have that conversation ahead of time, rather than two years down the road, it makes the whole migration process much easier. If you're a legacy code base. Oh. Cheers. <laughs> Who's driving him home? Drinking, so like, <laughs> Can they throw him out? Not, not this guy. Not this guy. <laughs> all right, so we all work at billion dollar companies. And I'm not saying that as bragging, I'm saying we all have Literally. legacy code. We, there is code yeah. sold that. Yeah, I got you, I got you, man. I got you. Ding, 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 ding. We all deal with code that predates us, predates possibly anybody working at the company. That's just how it goes sometimes. So we've all done some sort of migration or refactoring. What are some of the lessons that you've gained over the years of doing these things? Where do we start? <laughs> I don't know. I found that a lot of the times it, it involves like figuring out where you're going in a sense. I mean, it's one thing to know like what's bad, like your code is your code base is bad. But another is to know like where you actually want to go with it. What's bad about it and what do you want to change in particular? Um, we just spent probably the last 18 months or so, and by we I mean me, um, refactoring the way that we do our sign-up flow at Netflix, or at least the code base that it's based on. Um, and a lot of that has to do with knowing what's wrong about it and how to figure out how to get there from where we are currently and just kind of working your way backwards. But also, that's the first step, right? And then the second step is to kind of carve out chunks that you can do one page or one one step at a time in a way that you can keep your product up and running, but also kind of changing things out underneath the hood. Um, for me, that's always finding the smallest component and working my way upwards in terms of you know impact. But I mean, I think it's probably different for everyone here, but those are definitely two major lessons that I've noticed or learned. Yeah, actually, I was going to bring up that point. It's It's probably a good thing to talk about that when we talk about migrations, there's like two types. There's moving from one framework all the way to another. That's like a really big migration versus like, you know, you're just upgrading React. Like, React 
15 or 14 to 16 was kind of a big change, but they had like some code mods to make that easy. Um, so I, I actually think you brought up a really good point. Like another way, a, a big thing that we learned at Evernote is how do, can we break up the migration or how can we break up the refactoring into like sizable chunks without like impacting like our current like workload? Or if we are gonna impact like what we're actually shipping out to people, like how do we kind of com communicate that? How do we set some expectations for that? Yeah, and I think if like as an example, if you're like refactoring where like all other pages are of the, the old uh, stack and framework and like one entire page is the new thing. I think one thing that's been fascinating is to know like everyone will hyper focus on recoding like all the features that exist on that page. And then, f and sometimes forgetting, not necessarily forgetting, but like the things that are um, cross page um, features um, get forgotten sometimes and, and, and you remember it later when you're like, oh wait, an example of that would be like, uh, keyboard shortcuts. Like we need the same uh, keyboard shortcut methodology and pattern to be in place across all these pages. And we build the new thing, and we like built this new thing. And then we're focused on the feature. And they're like, oh wait, everyone expects like this keyboard shortcut feature that's like a global feature for the entire site to work a, a similar fashion. And you're like, oh, we have to rebuild this thing that we weren't expecting to rebuild because it just you, you get lost in the in the in the hyper focus of the features of that page. Um, so that's been an interesting like learning. I think for like redoing a single page in a new stack of a multi-page app. So, so far the advice uh, I'm getting, and correct me if I'm wrong, is do yep. things and start at the smallest feature you can and then work your way upward from there. But also be aware of all the features that existed before and make sure you port those over. Inventory, yeah. Like do, inventory. do like a serious inventory, like every single thing that's on this, on this page. And if, if you're doing an entire page into like a new single page app sort of framework thing. Don't I actually, forget yeah, I things. call that actually following the breadcrumbs in a sense. Like whenever I want to start like a refactor or a rewrite, I like to get a great lay of the land of, of you know, what I'm, you know, about to rewrite. And a lot of times you have to follow the breadcrumbs through the rest of the code base to figure out like where the tendrils of what you're trying to rewrite and how, like where they are and how far they go. For, for exactly that reason, in order to figure out like what other things are you going to be affecting, and also are there other parts that could be rewritten to better support what you're working on now and other parts of the code base, but also where where are the edges of what you're trying to work on? So one, I, I think something really really valuable that when we're talking about refactoring legacy code, cheers, cheers, is how do you measure when you're successful? So Mars, I know you just did a large, large refactor. We're on the same team, so I get to look at her I'm code. I'm doing another one right now, too. <laughs> oh. But so how did you measure if you refactored like a component or something like that? Didn't break anything. <laughs> Step one, didn't break anything. Um, I think the second also, I mean, specifically in the arena that I was working in, we were focused on conversion. This is our sign-up flow. As long as conversions were the same, you know, that, that was a good thing. Um, and I think something that's really, really hard to measure, and one of the reasons we did our refactor at the time was for developer productivity, which was the whole reason for this rewrite, is not an immediate effect that you'll see, but over time as you see more work being built on top of the code base that you've just rewritten, you'll see people doing it faster or more happily, or you know, they're not going in to fix a bug and creating more bugs. It's, it's not something that's very easy to measure, but it is a good measure of success. Or in Quit's uh, case, you're not writing Java anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can I ask, was it Gems code? My code is beautiful. Yeah. 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 It was it was definitely my code. 
<laughs> that's why I just like, Mike dropped and left the company. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Um, if you if you have the capability to, and this is like advanced stuff for some people don't have this ability, but to uh, roll out the new thing to like subsets of people and get data upon that feedback, like. A/B testing and all that stuff—it's it's sort of amazing. Not everybody has that ability. Like I've worked—I've almost worked nev- nowhere where they've had the ability to do A/B testing, or like a lot of these things are like gather data, get make your decisions on data, and you're like, I work in a small place, we can't do that. Um, we have tens of users. <laughs> <laughs> if you can do that, um, if you uh, roll something out that's built in this new stack. And let's say there was like a UX improvement that was a part of it. If you can gather some feedback about like either anecdotal feedback or like ask them feedback while like throw throw like, hey, was this this new thing better to you? Like obviously just gather that stuff and that that helps your story. Like if people are like responding to it better and like, yes, this this feature makes more sense. I really like this new look and feel or whatever it is. Twitter sentiment, like all those things are, are can be helpful to your story. I, I like that. So what I'm getting is you should measure your changes is essentially what, yeah. I like I, I have not seen a lot of that when people talk about refactoring old code. They just change and they say it's better because developer productivity is up. But how do you know? Have you measured the old versus the new? And you don't see that very often. What I like, what you look for in measurements is that you want it to be flat. You don't want it to be too far in the negative, like conversions are down, for instance. That That's a bad sign. Something's broken. But you also don't want conversions to be up because something also may be broken on the other hand. And you just see a lot of people just like, we're switching from Angular to React, we're switching from React to Vue, but they don't measure any of this. They just do it and like, how do I know the site's better? I don't know, you're just guessing so, at this so point. I want to challenge two yeah. points of that. Because I'm an asshole. a challenge. <laughs> One, most people don't have enough users to be able to get like a significant p-value, right? To, to get a significant amount of like difference between the two that they can say like, this is, like definitely better than the other one, right? I'm just gonna take a, a quick poll of people in the room. How many of you work on websites that you have like millions of users just by raisers, raise of hands? Jem's raising his hand. Uh, okay, the panel is raising their hands. <laughs> one person in the back, okay. How about hundreds of thousands of users? I get like three hands. Okay, tens of thousands of users, like maybe 10, 15 more, and then t- like thousands of users. Okay, two of you. Cool. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> My point being is that not everyone has the benefit of being able to measure something like that significantly enough that they can be able to make a call that like this was better or this was worse. Could you say though, by extension, the better the de- developer productivity, the more features you can add, the quicker yeah. you can iterate, the more you can make your users happy. And now that might be a stretch, but I'm poking on it a little bit. No, no, <laughs> no. it totally is. Totally and all the number posts. <laughs> yeah. Or even, even the number of bugs that come back. Like we've had some features that we've written, uh, embarrassingly, um, that have ri- like created a lot of bugs. And that was kind of a sign for our PMs to be like, okay, what can we do to fix this? And sometimes it's just, we really have to refactor the approach we went. We just did it completely wrong, and we can like measure like how many bugs we're getting back. That's been a good way. So I want I want oh. to call that out as a positive indication. It's uh, correlative instead of causative, right. mm, because nice. different people are writing them. It's a different season. Like there's there's a lot of like lurking variables in that situation. 
I never took a statistics class. I'm making shit up. <laughs> but people are like nodding. I was like, yes, that sounds correct. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you just need to be careful of those indicators and realize that they are secondary indicators and not, po- not, not, not necessarily uh, causative. So mm-hmm. I should wait till winter to see if the bugs. Yes. Yes. That's So I disagree a bit. Even if I had hundreds of users, I could still measure things like TTR, TTI, or time to render, time to interactive, basic perf metrics, like work for 10, 10 users. Stuff like that's pretty easy to measure, and that's not as strong a signal as did they buy something from me or did they sign up. But it's a signal anybody can get. I, I would still assert that it's uh, you don't have enough users to because one user might be measuring on DSL, one might be measuring on like a gigabit fiber, and those users could drop off, new ones could drop like jump in. So you don't have still enough data to say like this is definitely causing this, right? Wait, and so okay, so. I've taken some statistics, so I can <laughs> really Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> statistics third <laughs> out. Because when you say something, I give up. You're right. You're right. I give up. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that was easy. Yeah, but but I guess like when you say number of users, you're you're right in that like number of users does matter. But then like you know, there's two parts to it, right? There's the number of users and then the time, right? So are you talking? Because it's not like for those of you that might have like only hundreds of users, it's not like you only have a hundred users. Like if you like it's maybe a hundred active users or something, right? So like for us, like sure P value to hit significance, it might not be as fast as maybe Netflix where you have like tons of active users. But for us, like we just have to wait a longer time to actually hit significance. Fair. But maybe that, that so, turns in yeah. from like hours at Netflix or it's actually around two days. Uh, to like months, right? And you're running one test on your homepage, which most companies don't. There's also some sort of like, I guess, subjective feedback too. Like, let's say, let's say you have, um, and depending on where you work, you might have like a captive audience where like you're running some internal tools and that are web-based and um, you can actually ask them directly, like, is this helping you? Is this thing, and we're delivering features to you faster. Does it feel like the things that we're delivering to you are helping you do your job better or whatever? Like that kind of stuff is maybe not statistically significant, but at least it's like the, the user's sentiment is like, I'm, I'm able to do what I do better and you guys are delivering us stuff faster because apparently you have a stack of things that you're able to do stuff faster in. And like maybe that is visible to them. Like you weren't getting features to them as fast as you could, and like now for some reason you've re- redone your stack, and they don't care about that. But at least you're like getting stuff to them faster. That kind of measurement is is cool too. Like that matters. I like and I think Stacy hit it on the head. Like it's yeah. it's it's a subjective measurement that still counts. Like even when you have like Netflix levels of data, you still have to make gut feels, like subjective calls, and like that's important. And so when you're when you're at that smaller scale, um, you should lean more heavily towards that. Mm-hmm. Wait, was this your angle? He doesn't have an angle. Legacy. 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 Last question, and when we can take some questions from the audience. But how often should you refactor? Because especially in front end land, stuff just changes so quickly. Uh, like Webpack four, no five. Four. Six just came out. <laughs> Seven. Oh, I think we're up to eight already. Uh, but 
the, the point stands, like, how often should we refactor? Like, how should I switch to React 17 already? Or should I switch to Node 9? For, yeah, for us, like, we actually didn't immediately upgrade. Like, we, we kind of see what the release actually has and see if it actually, like, provides us some stuff. So, like, Fiber was a really big thing when React came out. And that, like, really evaluated, like, the render lifecycle. And naturally, like, I guess for frameworks, it's a little different because you are kind of tied to it. So eventually, you, like, there might come a time when like you need to actually have to upgrade and depending on how different it is so like how react kind of changed some of the life cycle logic you you might it probably makes more sense to address that earlier than later like especially for us like as our app gets bigger and more like built out we're going to have more components so we're going to have to like refactor more components so at least for us we kind of just made like judgment calls on that it's a trade off though right because you don't always want to jump on the latest, greatest thing all the time. That's just not feasible for most people. We have, we have jobs that we have to get paid. But the longer you wait, the harder it becomes, especially when you're talking about front-end frameworks. So is there a rule of thumb, or is it just like the team decides? It can depend on your structure. As an example, um, for, for Bitbucket and Elastian, we have like a shared React component library uh, called AtlasKit. That's, it's public. Um, but that... That component library has, uh, they, they wanted to go to React 16. We weren't on that, and all the products weren't on that, so you kind of have to coordinate it all, because if you don't, like, you, we can't consume the updates, and then they're fixing bug fixes, and we can't consume them unless we're on the same version of things. So there's this, like, cross-product coordination that has to happen. So that's, like, a bigger company concern where you actually have, like, a shared component library. Um, and that brings, like, it was like React 16, styled components, all these things that, like, we need to be on the same versions of. So you have to have that, like, coordination so you're, like, your, your, your payload doesn't bloat. And you don't have, like, you know, like a 12 megabyte download for, for, for your JavaScript. So that can drive it because you want to be in sync with, like, the thing that you're, uh, you're sharing. Um, so that, that's one consideration if, if, that's a, if, if that's part of, like, what your concerns are. So it's the team largely that are like, because they're the ones who have to do it, make the judgment call. Yeah. But I think also that's really specific to when you're introducing a new framework or your reliance on a specific framework that is upgrading underneath you. I think going back to Augustus's point of there being different types of refactors, you're either moving from Angular to React or Bootstrap to Angular or what, what have you. There are other rewrites that involve just like improving your code base in general. And a lot of times it involves introducing a framework or moving to a new one, but, but not every time. And I think that that's another thing we should talk about is just we don't always have to be so reliant on these frameworks. And when we rewrite or when we refactor, it's not always forced by sort of like an outside force coming in. And, and we have the control over that too. And I think that is really difficult to figure out like when you're actually going to do that. At what point does it become obvious that you know the developer pain is too much that we need to increase the productivity? And that's kind of a more nebulous area, but it is another type of refactor. I like it. And we will do another episode on developer productivity because that's something that's very important and we often don't discuss too often. Totally. But we're nearing the end of time and at the end of every episode, we like to go over and have picks of music or TV shows or Anything that we found interesting, who wants to start? Start with Derek. Start with Derek. <laughs> he didn't say anything. So we can save the best for last. Hell yeah. I was talking about Jim. The best for first. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my picks uh, this week, I listened, started listening to a new podcast. Um, 
20,000 Hertz. It's a podcast all about sound. Um, and it's really some interesting episodes. I listened to one on the emergency alert system, um, another one on the NBC tones. Um, so they talk about like the history of sound and how it's in, 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 uh, been involved in our culture through, throughout years, depending on the sound. So it's really interesting. My other pick is um, a San Francisco company, but I, I think it's popular worldwide, Timbuktu. I got a new Timbuktu bag, and in fact, I wanted to switch away from Timbuktu because I've always had Timbuktu bags, so I was going to go with this in-case bag, and I was like, because, you know, I see everyone wearing that in San Francisco, so that's got to be cool, and uh, and so I picked this one out. I was like, I'm going to buy this one, and I went to the Timbuktu store, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm sold, like, right away, so um, anyway, that's... that's uh, that's an awesome product if you get a chance to check that out. And my last pick is a TV show that I'm surprised no one's picked, but I started watching from a recommendation. It's a Netflix show. That's why I'm surprised no one's picked. But Master of None. Um, oh, that's a good show. It's, yeah, I love show. that show, and I'm like kind of late to the game. But No one's ever picked that? No, I looked just to make sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> I believe you. Um, but I think it's hilarious. It's not like laugh out loud funny, but I'm sure probably everyone has already seen the show. Because he's on Sorry, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually did not like that show. Really? No. I, I think Aziz Ansari is like what you think of when you think whiny millennial. Like, he's like the person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, like, I, I, yeah, I didn't like that show. Absolutely yeah. well. I <laughs> Sorry. I respect your choices, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry. It's fine. <laughs> Stacey, what do you got? All right. I have two picks. The first one is my uh, always my music pick. So, I'm uh, Rival Consoles is a, a big, uh, a bit, a, an, an act that I've enjoyed for some time and I've seen him live a few times. He does electronic music, he's uh, a composer. So Unfolding is a new track from him that just got released, I really enjoy it. I'm looking forward to the album. Uh, and then my second pick is uh, a book called Git for Humans by David Damari um, from A Book Apart. Um, just working on Bitbucket and also like having worked with Git for a number of years, I just I find his book to be a very like approachable, um, really well done explanation of like what Git is and why it's helpful. And especially if you're not familiar whatsoever with Git, it's very it's very approachable. It makes you feel good. Like there's there's some statements in there like Git is hard. Like there's leaky abstractions in the way that this was implemented. It's it's not intuitive. And and I think that is really important because. You start using it and you're like, am I dumb? Like, I just, I can't, this is like really hard. And and, and I think he explains why that, that difficulty exists. And I think it's a really good book for, for anybody new to get. Nice. Mars? Sure. Um, I'm always bad about my picks. So, okay, I'll start with a, a TV show uh, called Love Sick, which is a Netflix show. Original? Maybe? Yes? Okay. It's a Netflix original. <laughs> um, I, I won't go into too much detail about what it's about, but I love British shows and romantic comedies so this is a great marriage of the two it's super adorable and quite funny if you like the english um <laughs> and the second pick is a, a newsletter that i've been following called inside dev inside is a company that has been putting together these newsletter that picks like four or five articles you know around the web for different subjects and they have one just for development so if you're interested in a good um developer newsletter this is this is one for you so. augustus yeah cool um, so my picks, um, so I stole this from um, Derek's Twitter. It's the, this blog article on flavors of engineering management. Um, I never really thought about it, but I guess there's lots of different ways for, for a manager to 
manage an engineering team. And so it kind of it kind of talks about like a bunch of different ways. There's like the tech lead engineering manager, a product team oriented engineering manager. So I thought it was a really interesting article for people who want some perspective in that. And then this one I stole from Ryan. I think you starred it. It's this GitHub repo called Thanks. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. It's uh, basically this NPM module where you can just go into some project. Um, it'll go through the package JSON dependencies and it'll list out all the people who work who worked on that on those dependencies. So really gives like kind of a shout out to them. And I think it links their Patreon. Yeah. 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 So anyone that's requesting like uh, donations via Open Collective or Patreon or something like that, it'll tell you like this is how you give to this project. Super cool. Yeah, it's really easy to forget that there are people who are working on these things for free. Years. For you. <laughs> but yeah. Right, Brian. All right, I got a couple of picks here. The first one is uh, Lewis.ai, which is something I've had an opportunity to work with in my like day-to-day -day job, which is language understanding something that begins with I, <laughs> something that begins with S. Uh, it's a it's an API that does language understanding for you, like natural language processing, and it's stupid easy to use. Like I started using it. Um, you just put in like a bunch of phrases, like this would sound like this, and it just like maps what, whatever bullshit you're putting in there to like machine readable output. So it's re it's really really cool. Um, Is this a uh, Microsoft? I, I wasn't gonna say that. Hashtag. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> Giant. I was gonna call that out. It is. It is. I was getting there, you motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm not that dishonest. It's all Microsoft. Anyway, before these assholes called me out for being an asshole. You got to make up for all the shit talk on Microsoft. <laughs> hey, fuck you. You work at Microsoft. <laughs> That's true. That's fair. That's fair. Lewis.ai is made by Microsoft.com. <laughs> Can we play the jingle here? Is there, is there a Microsoft jingle? <laughs> you would know. The more you know. No, just you can start one. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. Windows XP. Yeah, the Windows XP one. There you go. The next one is also shameless, but it's also shameless for this asshole sitting next to me. Augustus. Yeah. <laughs> Augustus. Uh, it's this class called Full Stack for Frontend Part 2. It's from uh, Frontend Masters, which is something that doesn't pay me shit. They also pay me, but this is not from like this is not a paid endorsement from them. Anyway, so, so full stack for front end. <laughs> Jem pays me it's in beer. It's a chorus from uh, one Jem Young. Uh, so I've had so many engineers come to me and tell me like this chorus was like phenomenal for them. Like it taught them like just like the basics, like the things that like everyone assumes that you know when you go into your first job and you just don't fucking know, right? Like I show, I remember showing up to my first job and not knowing Git. And so I had to have someone like a front, uh, a tech lead sit down and show me Git. And like to this day, I still credit him. Uh, his Twitter handle is at Janiv2, so you should definitely follow him on Twitter because he taught me Git. Uh, Russell Allstrom. So anyway, uh, it's Jem's doing part two of that course of just like shit that you just need to fucking know, right? So, so definitely. That's the title of the course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it really should be. That's part three. <laughs> part <Yeah>. three. <laughs> You still don't get it, comma, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last one, uh, we're in Sacramento, right? Uh, I'm not picking Sacramento, but we are in Sacramento. Uh, but I am picking one of Sacramento's own. She's here in the audience. I'm going to pick a podcast with Madison Canna. She's the first, uh, in the first row. 
Uh, Second Career Devs, which is from our friend uh, Kyle Shelvin. Madison was on it. It's a really, really great episode. Uh, check it out. She's awesome. Kyle's awesome. So, yeah, please listen to it. Second that. It's a good podcast. Yeah. Uh, I have three picks today. My first pick is an old show. Some of you may know it, some of you not. It's called C-Lab 2021. Anybody seen it? Yes. One of my favorite shows, Died Too Young. It ran for five years. It's a long time for a cartoon. But if you can dig it up somewhere, I don't even know where it's streaming. But I just thought of it. I Amazon. love that show. Is it on Amazon? It's on Amazon. Amazon Prime Video. See, I work at Netflix. We can, we can share the love around. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I love C-Lab 2021. Um, my second pick is actually a shameless plug, which Brian did pay me for. Uh, <laughs> four semesters of CS on Frontend Masters Part 2. By far, if I recommend any class to anybody at any time, any dev, I say it's four semesters of CS. You learn four semesters of computer science, which you would in college, in a very, very short time. Is it six hours? Four hours? Five hours. Five hours. Even Wasn't it six hours before? Yeah, no, that's what I called it, but it actually ended up being five hours. Nice. Yeah, Even no, better. I've, yeah. But if Estimating. You, if you have things like you want to learn about graph traversal or link list and things you've heard of and you're just like, I don't really get it. Brian explains it very, very well. And he's a front-end engineer, so it's not like weird technical notation. He explains it very plainly. Uh, he, just kidding. He does not pay me, but it is by far one of the most useful classes you can take, like hands down. Um, my last pick is from a segment that I do every episode starting 2018 called Valley Silicon. It's where I pick something just absurd, just things that should not exist, but exist because people have too much money. Um, and I've had some good picks as these are. My last one was uh, the flamethrower by Elon Musk that people yeah, bought. Yeah. People bought this flamethrower. It sold out. It sold out, yeah, a flamethrower. <laughs> like, anyways, that was last episode. You go listen to it. I went on a good rant about it. My newest pick is about cryptocurrency, again. Um, this one is the Petro. It is a currency released by Venezuela, um, backed by oil, which is in the ground still, which, again, you shouldn't do. Um, also, questionably, that they even have that much oil. But it, they said, like, hey, let's get on this Bitcoin train and let's release our own currency, but it's backed by oil, wink. Supposedly, <laughs> according to the government, which is not corrupt at all, according, according, <laughs> supposedly they've sold $700 million worth of this cryptocurrency. So that means around the world, people are like, hmm, this country's in shambles, the economy's in shambles, the government's corrupt and they're trying to get ousted, but let me buy this currency issued by this government because it'll be worth something someday. Yeah. We have too much money. Yeah, <laughs> people are throwing yeah. money into stuff we like this. We have problems. I could start a coin called Ponzi, and people would buy it. It's <laughs> literally called Ponzi. All right, let's do this. Let's do it. Let's do it. Right? Let's do it right yeah. now. All right, Ponzi is coming out. Ponzi coin. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, can we go around the table and just where can people get a hold of you, Derek? Sure. I'm on Twitter at Derek Showers. I'm on Twitter at Stacy Londoner. I'm on Twitter at Mars Josephine. Oh God, mine is not my name, so I feel awkward now. But mine is <laughs> mine is Ogberto, A-U-G-B-U-R-T-O. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass mine up for Madison. Madison. What's what's your Twitter? Mine. Yeah. Madison. So M-A-D-I-S-O-N-K-A-N-N-A. Yeah, follow her there. Nice. And just send me an email, gem and Netflix.com. I take a long, long time to respond, but I will eventually. <laughs> and thanks everyone for listening. <laughs>